CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, it seems every week we have some days of our lives casting news to share, and this week is no different. So, hot on the heels of Christian Alfonso and Greg Vaughn announcing that they were leaving the show comes a statement from Victoria Konefal, who has played Sierra since 2017, that she is leaving too. So I believe she, like Greg, also wrapped filming at the end of 2019, but she was very clear in the statement that she is no longer a full-time cast member, which indicates that she's open to visits, which should be welcome news to Sin fans. Oh, I hope it is, but I do imagine that this is a big blow to Sin fans, no matter how you slice it. I I kind of can't believe it's only been three years since she came aboard, because I feel like (laughs) she's had, yeah, she's just had such a huge impact on the canvas in that relatively short amount of time and has really done a great job of carrying on her character's royal legacy, if you will, as the daughter of Bowen Hope. I totally agree. And I know fans are worried about what this means for Robert Scott Wilson's Ben, but I am told he is staying put and the show has big story for him. So speaking of Ben, the character is being held captive by none other than Eve, which means Cassie DePaiva is back for another visit. In an interview in our new issue, Cassie admits that she was actually surprised to see that Eve had turned into such a supervillain, <laughs> mainly because in her previous soap roles as One Life to Live's Blair and Guiding Light's Chelsea, she was always the heroine. And was frequently held captive in those roles, might I add. <laughs> now, another big day's return is also in the works for this week. Nadia Bjorlin is back as Chloe. We have seen her come and go many times, and this time is just a visit. But Chloe fans will be happy to hear that she has actually signed a new deal and Nadia will be back filming when the show resumes production in the fall. And since we know that J. Kenneth Johnson is also heading back to Salem at some point in the near future as Philip, I cannot help but wonder if Chloe 2.0 might be coming our way. I mean, if only Kyle Lauder was still there, you know, that would be a very interesting trio to watch all over again. Another return we're going to see is to Bold and Beautiful, and it's Matthew Atkinson's Thomas. Now, the character really kind of disappeared from the canvas after the botched wedding to Zoe, you know, presumably seeking help for his many issues. But he will come (laughs) home once he hears about Steffi's motorcycle accident, so that should certainly shake things up once again. I actually spoke to the show's executive producer and head writer, Bradley Bell, for a preview in the new issue, as well as an update about how things are going with the studio now that they've been, you know, really like going great guns. He also says he plans to bring the Avant family back to town, which I think will be welcome news to fans. I mean, really, when was the last time we saw Carla Mosley's Maya? 
I know, right? Like I've been disappointed, you know, not to see Maya on the screen. And I feel like there's so much unfinished business with that character that I'm happy to hear uh, she'll be back and likely that will be addressed. Well, another exciting tune in for both of us, Mara, is the return of Selling Sunset to Netflix on August 7th. Now, you and I both love this show, but you know, they've been promoting that we're going to see Chriselle Stouse deal with the breakup of her marriage to Justin Hartley. And I cannot imagine that is going to be easy to watch. You know, I, I am really so fond of Chriselle. You know, I've, I've known her since uh, 2005 when she joined All My Children as Amanda, and we've always had a really nice rapport. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle seeing her sad. I feel like it's going to be so heartbreaking. Now, another show's return that I want to touch on is that of General Hospital, which uh, this Monday will start airing its first batch of new episodes since May. Yay! Uh, We left off with sort of like a multitude of cliffhangers. Uh, The fate of baby Wiley, whose custody trial was underway. Uh, Nell's surprise marriage to Julian. Nicholas's decision about whether or not to divorce Ava to sacrifice the Cassidine fortune in in order to restore his relationship with Spencer. Sonny's course of action regarding his father, whose Alzheimer's was worsening. You know, since I watched, uh, started watching GH rather in 1989, I have certainly not gone this long without an original episode. And <laughs> right. I am freaking psyched to see my Port Charles friends again. Uh, all of the folks at GH that I've spoken to have really been itching to get back to work and have offered really strong praise to Frank Valentini, as well as uh, other higher ups at ABC for how tireless they work to get the show back up and running again uh, and to do doing so safely, which is, of course, the key word given the current moment. Yeah, it's going to be amazing to have all four shows back up and running. Now, our guest today has actually been on all four shows remaining on the air. It's soap vet Rick Hurst, who has certainly made his mark across the daytime dial. So let's check in with him and see how he's doing. Hi, Rick. Hello! <laughs> we're good we're so happy to talk to you today oh me as well me as well i was really uh you know i had a blow blow home here i was i was uh in in route from uh my, my other life that i've had to i've adopted uh these past four years but um I'll, we'll get more into that in a second but yeah I'm, I'm really glad that i was able to that you guys reached out and i'm so so happy to talk to you it's so happy to talk to anybody nowadays i mean <laughs> you know familiar voices is is very very, very nice. Um, the way we're all you know. Absolutely. Well, tell us how have you been doing these past few months? Oh, these few past few months, it's been. I it's you know I was thinking about this today, especially every day. You know, I kind of you wake up wondering what's what's in store. Uh, I've 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 actively um, tried to find the 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 things in life that are normal. And what I mean, normal, like, you know, enjoying something about the day rather than living in, you know, fear. Oh, crap. I forgot my mask slash gloves slash hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's it's been a you know, it's been a it's been a big adjustment. It's, it's a big adjustment for, you know, anybody who has Italian blood running through them uh, like <laughs> myself, because, you know, I, I, the, the human interaction is probably the thing that's been been most um, challenging. Um, you know, with friends, uh, uh, with family, obviously, even, even with family, you know, we, at first we were all very, uh, cautious with one another because, you know, like my boys live here, uh, just not here in the house, but live, uh, um, in town as well. Uh, I'm in Atlanta now, 
um, for, for those folks who didn't know that. Um, we've been here for a little over four years, the entire family. So my ma- myself, uh, my wife, Donna, obviously, my two sons, Nick and Cam, and uh, my mom and my mother-in-law. So we're all within like, you know, a five mile radius of each other. Pretty much. So, That's awesome. Um, yeah, it is awesome. You know, it's, I'm thankful, honestly, and, and that if I didn't have that, if I think if, if Don and I didn't have that, I probably would have been going a lot more stir crazy than than I have been. But we've made, you know, we've made adjustments as as I think everybody has. But the the biggest thing is it's the adjustments that are not just about us; they're adjustments so that we can all kind of return to some semblance of um, what we deem as normal anymore. So. Yeah, a lot of nostalgia. A lot, a lot of things about thinking about, you know, like if I look, if I'm driving in the day, it's like, oh, it's actually a pretty day. And then you get fooled because you go, you know what? I think I'm going to go to, no, I'm not going to go out. <laughs> right. No. I'd like Same. to go sit down. I'd love to go sit down and have a nice cocktail and, you know, uh, enjoy it. Ah, you can, but, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that will, will wear the mask uh, in, amidst all of that. And uh, it just kind of takes the, takes the wind out of your sails. You know, Natalia uh, Livingston actually lives here. Um, she and her husband, Matt, and Coco, their little little girl, um, they, they live here. They're in Atlanta as, here as well. And we, we've seen them pretty regularly. Um, you know, they come over for dinner on Sunday and, you know, mom, would, mom always cooks. And um, so we actually had them over. Um, you know, they came over, but, you know, uh, Natalia is obviously she's pregnant with their second and she's very close to being due. And, you know, we're very sensitive to that. We're like, come to my house. We can six, six feet apart. We'll, we'll make her wake at work. She had face shield, you know, we all wear masks, um, you know, but, but it, we were just happy to have uh, just that interaction of seeing them, you know, and touching base with them. It's uh, it is, it's, it's very, very challenging. You know, it's very, mm-hmm. very challenging. So, and, and I know that's not, that's, that's what everybody's going through right now. Mm-hmm. Well, Rick, we were just commenting on your noteworthy standing as an alum of like all four soaps still on the air. And we're like really excited to do a deep dive into your soap career. Um, okay. So we're going to start with days. You made your days debut in 1989 as Scotty yes. Banning, Julie's yes. grandson and the great grandson of the legendary Tom and Alice Horton. So tell us yes. your casting story. The audition experience on the set, uh, excuse me, my audition uh, four days uh, kind of came after a period. Uh, I had just come back from shooting a film in Johannesburg in South Africa, which was not, you know, had anything to do with South Africa or Johannesburg. <laughs> it was actually a motorcycle film about a boy from Pittsburgh. And, uh, <laughs> and John Saxon played my father. So um, that's what that, yeah, it's very sad. Um, uh, very nice man, very nice man. Um, but, uh, so anyway, I came back from the state, uh, back to the States, uh, out of work as most actors would be for, you know, about six months. And it was, I believe it was May of 88 at the time. And, um, so I get, I get the call to go in and audition for, for days, uh, into casting. And apparently I did pretty well in my, in my read. Um, I was very nervous because, you know, I, I'd never never worked in television, let alone in daytime. So I, I had no idea what to expect. You know, I was, I was, the, I was the theater man and I was also going, you know, uh, I had looked into, you know, started, you know, I'd done some film. So I was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And fortunately I went through the process. And then, so my producer read was actually the, the one that I remember most. Uh, my producer read was with Shelly Curtis, 
was the producer at the time. Um, she was the exec producer. And, you know, she had a, not this big, not a massive office, but, a, you know, a, a very much a, a working office there at, at NBC. And um, I remember me reading with, uh, with Mindy Clark, who was playing Faith, who would be playing my love interest. And, um, you know, I was very nervous uh, about the whole thing because, you know, you're, you're working, you're, you're auditioning with the person that would be playing as opposite you. She couldn't have been more, you know, accommodating and free and just down for pretty much anything. And I, of course, took advantage of that uh, and Shelly's office by literally chewing every piece of um, <laughs> scenery I could, uh, just utilizing every part of it. That's kind of who I was at that time. Uh, I, I just took a lot of chances in, in auditions and I figured, well, what do I got to lose? And uh, thankfully, I, I got called back to um, actually screen test. I remember being on the phone with my, my agent at the time. Uh, David Windsor was his name. And David was kind of walking me through the process and like, they negotiate money first. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I don't understand. You know, I didn't get the job yet. And he's like, no, this is how they do it. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know what to do. You know? <laughs> uh, so, so I go in and I, um, you know, I show up for my, my, uh, it was Sunset Gower Studios actually is where, where it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, drove onto the lot and it was like a big deal. I was like, oh wow. You know, it felt very, very big, this big time, big time. You know? <laughs> uh, stars in the eyes kind of thing. But you know, again, I just try to keep my head about me to just do the best job that I possibly could. And I, um, fortunately, you know, I, I went through the, the read and it, it was, went off pretty much as it did in the office, really very well connected with Mindy and, and I got the gig. Uh, and that wasn't so much the big, wow, uh, the casting process, but it was really more the first day that I remember more than anything. And my first day was, you know, any job, I, I still to this day do this, any job that I show up for first day, I'm always like super early. And I, cause I like to get the lay of the land. I don't want to be kind of caught flat footed and go, Oh, I don't know what's going on, what to do. So it's funny thing. I tell that to any actors that I coach now, I just say, you know, always arrive ultra prepared, bulletproof and show up way early. So you get to know people walk around, get to see the set, so on and so forth. So that's what I was doing. You know, I, I went in, you know, into the green room and of course I, I have every intention of eating when I get there, but I have this thing as well. I, I can't really eat when on my first day cause I'm too nervous cause I'm afraid I'm going to throw up. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I, uh, I go through my first day, I finally get to my shot and my shot's very simple. I'm, I'm showing up and walking into the, the kitchen of Tom and Alice Horton, my grandparents, my great parent, great, great parent parents, I think I was supposed to be, um, which was ludicrous. Um, <laughs> so the shot was me coming up to the door. And just putting my hand on the door and opening it. Now, I didn't know how tight they were, but they were ECU out of my hand. And then they were going to pan up, you know, all these things as the, as the young actor in a studio can sit in a situation. You don't know. Like, you film, you're setting up the sticks, you're setting up the camera, you're doing your rehearsal, walk away. Three, four hours later, they set lights. Now you're ready to go. So you're ultra like, oh, it's a breeze. I can do it. This is like, okay, we got the show. Okay, we're going to rehearse and boom, you're ready to go. I'm like, oh, okay. So I did that about five different times. And each time Steve Wyman, who was the director then and then later on became producer, was actually, um, he just kept calling down in the intercom and I'm like, that was very weird. Like hearing this big booming voice, like, uh, Rick, could you please do that again? I'm like, uh, oh, okay. Uh, what did I do wrong? Just, just, just try it again. We, it's just us. And I'm like, oh, okay. Five times. I, well, I didn't know that they were, I would rush through it. Like I go in the door and they're like, no, 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 no. We need you to 
pause a beat and then go, oh, okay. So I'm pausing a beat, but they're still not getting it because I don't understand. Wait for your camera, work with your camera, make it follow, you know, let it follow up your body, take that in, let the audience see you and go in and then let them come with you. It's just all of these things that your first time in television, you're just an idiot walking. So, <laughs> so no, thankfully I didn't lose the job. Um, I, but I, I learned a very valuable lesson that day that, you know, that, that the camera is very much part of your performance and mm-hmm. the, the quicker you can get to know your cameramen, uh, cam- camera people, uh, the better because they're your best friend. Um, you got to learn to communicate with them because they'll, they'll help you a lot. So, mm-hmm. well, you work with some Pretty outstanding vets right from the get-go. So yes, what, are your, what are your memories of working with Susan Seaforth-Hayes, who of course plays Julie, and the uh, late McDonald Carey and Francis Reed, who did play Tom and Alice? You know, it's very funny. They, we're working with all of them, yes, very iconic, all of them in their own, in their own way. It was just a different, I think, um, actors of that, uh, that were you know, already well-known in daytime at that time had had full careers that had, you know, precipitated that moment for them. So they carried with them a great deal of, I think, empathy for, uh, for us as young actors, uh, coming in. Um, so I had, I, I treated, especially more veteran actors. I always treated them like they were family members for me. Like I would, like my mom would have me treat, you know, my grandparents or my mom or uncles. That's the way I kind of always looked at them. Um, like they have something to teach me, so I should listen. Um, I, you know, with Susan, Susan was very much, I kind of, I kind of attached myself to all of them and looked at them as real family members because of, of how, you know, welcoming. There was no pretense about any of them, all dynamic in in their own right. uh, uh, Frances was a very soulful lady, very gentle, not not a lot of words about her. Uh, Mac was, was just you know, he was what you would expect every grandpa and hope every grandpa to be. Um, you know, I, I was, I always kind of sat in awe of him, always welcome, always willing to run lines anytime. Uh, Susan, but Susan and I had kind of a special kind of bond. Like, you know, she looked at my character very much as somebody, she was very much the auntie Mame to her, her, her nephew, more like a nephew than a, than a, a grandson. Um, so I, they, they were just very, you know, very familial to, to me and with me. I couldn't tell you one specific memory or time, uh, with them, except for the lab, my last days with Mac before I left, like it was, I I was in tears more leaving them, uh, than I was leaving the show, uh, at that time. So. Yeah, they they were just extraordinary people, and they and let me tell you, they they had they that that's that's a show that had cue cards, by the way, and it's a, it's a habit I didn't want to learn, but unfortunately, by virtue of the fact that there were m- many actors who utilized them either for quick glances or quick line checks, but for them, it, it was a an art form. I, I that the fact that they could literally be looking right at the cards and right at me at the same time, and sometimes the first time it happened, it threw me. I'm like, oh, Christ. I'm like, what's going on? So much so that I would see my lines and it would like bug me out. But I had to start to learn to to um, kind of incorporate that into my own performance. So uh, and there was later on that 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 proved to be something that I had to let go of on my next show. 
Well, sadly, in 1990, Scotty became a casualty of a behind-the-scenes mm. regime change, and you yes. and he left Salem. But Shelly out, Allie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but in very, very short order, you turned up on Guiding Light, playing another role with like really deep familial ties to the canvas, yes. Alan Michael Spaulding. So how yes. did the Guiding Light job come about? Guiding Light was, um, so I found out that I was being, so interesting, we're 1989, we're one year later. I was, um, the casualty came about, you know, Bo and Hope were coming back. That was pretty much why I was going. Uh, and I don't, it's not like, oh, screw Bo and Hope. It was like, hey, figure it out. This is the way it all works, guy. Uh, but it opened up a couple of really great doors. I had three screen tests within two weeks. I was getting married um, in Texas um, on the 9th of June. Uh, and this was at the end of May that this all came down. So I was scrambling. Um, but I had three different tests, uh, screen tests for three different soaps. One was for, as the world turns for link, which the role went to Jimmy Wolchek. Um, the other was a role for Frankie on general hospital. Um, and the last was guiding light, Alan Michael. I'll tell you at the time I was really pulling for the Frankie role because I wanted to stay in LA. I liked LA. I was enjoying it. I had a great apartment. You know, we had Tracy Colas, now late now Tracy Larson, uh, who played Rebecca on days. We were very good friends, her then husband, Scott, and she lived right below us. It's just a lie. I wanted to keep that life, uh, in LA, but so, uh, the, the test for that came, um, and all three of them I was waiting to hear about. And I found out about guiding light. Uh, I flew out literally twice to New York in the span of a week. So guiding light came about, I screen tested with Sherry Stringfield, and it was, I have to tell you, it was my most fun that I've ever had in a screen test. Again, just kind of like making the set my own. Uh, and again, just a great connection with Sherry and found out um, that I got the role. But I also told them, I said, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to get married. And they're like, oh my God, you're getting married. I'm like, yeah, I got to go get married and then go on my mm -hmm. honeymoon and then I'll be back. And so they worked that into the scheduling. It actually worked out fine. I'm in France and uh, I'm on the, the, the West, uh, the, excuse me, the, the West side. Uh, so what was the Seine is the, it's not the East and the West again. What is it? The, is it North and the South? The, the Seine? The, the bank. Yeah. Yes. The left yes. bank, right bank. Yeah. The left bank. Thank you. That's what it was. So we were on the, we started on the right bank, more industrial, Champs-Élysées, went to the left bank, where we wanted to be. Grabbing food, grabbing, grabbing, you know, bread and wine and all that, throwing it out on, you know, making a tablecloth on our bed and like having a little picnic and whatever. So we're staying at this really cute little um, hotel called um, Hotel uh, La Merlotte on, no, Hotel San Gregor on Rue de San Gregor. And then they have this little restaurant called Cafe La Merlotte and great little place. But like all Americans, you know, you show up at eight o'clock while the Parisians are showing up at 10. <laughs> and so Donna and I, my wife, then, then wife, uh, after all that time, we, we go in there, we have four courses, lots of wine. We're having after dinner drinks. We're at dessert. We're, you know, we're, we're feeling no pain and having a great time. So all of a sudden I look up or actually Donna looks up and she sees these two people walk in, a husband, you know, a couple, and they sit down and she looks at me and she goes, "Hun, that's Michael Zasla. I went, come on. I went. I look up and sure shit, it's Michael and Susan. 
And, and what I come to find out that this is their favorite restaurant when they come to Paris. And I'm, I'm going to be working with Michael. He's going to be playing, obviously he plays, you know, Blake's. Um, he was your father-in-law. Uh, fa- father-in-law. So he's going to be my father-in-law. So to which my wife looks at me, Donna looks at me, and she goes, go and say hello. Like, <laughs> we're, we're bombed at this point. Like, and she goes, and she goes I'm like, hi. And I'm like, I can't go say hello. She goes, he's going to be your father-in-law. Go say hello. And I'm like, okay. So I, I work up enough nerves, stand up, walk up to Now, Michael's back is to me. And Susan sees me coming. And she kind of looks at me and then looks at him and kind of like, uh, Somebody's coming to say hello to you, thinking it's a fan. Mm-hmm. And not that I wasn't a fan of Michael, but, you know, I walk up behind him. I said, excuse me, Mr. Zaslow. And you could see, I, I see his shoulders like, oh, I'm in Paris. Okay, well, <laughs> I guess I'm going to deal with a fan. And I said, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I said, my name's Rick Hurst. I said, and I'm going to be playing your son-in-law, Alan Michael. I'm replacing Carl Ty Evans. His head snapped around, <laughs> looked me dead in the eye, and went, "Oh my god!" He goes, "What are you doing?" Like, like completely, like fluttered, which Michael never was. And he goes, "Well, sit, sit, sit down." He goes, I, I, "I, what are you doing here?" I said, "I'm here on my honeymoon. That's my wife over there." And I point over to the other table where my where Donna is. She's waving like, "Hi, how are you?" Well, why don't you guys come and join us? And I said, you know what? We've been here for four hours. We've had plenty of wine, plenty of afternoon drink, food. We're full up. Thank you so much. I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm really looking forward to working with you. And he was like, oh my God, I can't wait. Well, you know, enjoy your time here. When are you headed back? I said, pretty soon. Um, so my first, my first day, um, uh, that I worked with more than myself in a, in a prison cell because <laughs> I kidnapped. I always seem to be in cells in some way. Right? That's my big entrance. But then my first scenes again are with Michael and I'm supposed to make an entrance. I have 13 scenes my first day, my first day with everybody. So I've been furiously studying. And this goes back to the day's connection of don't ever, I said, don't ever, I hope they never bring back any kind of cue cards of any kind, any way, any shape, any form. I get there. I look at Michael and I'm looking around at cameras and I don't see, you know, little cue card guys. And I looked at Michael and I said, Michael, hey, by the way, do, uh, you know, do they, do you guys use cue cards at all? He goes, oh no, this is New York. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, right. Of course. And he goes, and I said, um, so, um, you know, uh, what if you go up? And he goes, looks me dead in the eye and goes, wing it. And at that point, Locke Wallace, the stage manager, in his infamous voice said, five, four, three. (laughs) (laughs) And I never doubted that I would be able to be off book again. I was like, trust yourself, go forth and, you know, be bold and be brave. So, and not not a dropped line, rolled with the whole thing. It was, and that's, uh, that's, that was my first day on set with with the guy in life. Wow. Fantastic. Um, now again, another place where you work with some pretty formidable talent. Um, Incredible. Alan Michaels' overprotective aunt Alexandra was played yeah. by the legendary Beverly McKenzie. Yes. So tell us about Beverly. Greatest broad in daytime. Greatest broad in all of daytime. Like you know, again, you go diva, daytime royalty, all that kind of stuff. You never seen Be- You never seen Bev uh, until you uh, you look at Alexandra and the in the in the appearance of what she was. Yet you got to see 
Bev in her little fuzzy slippers and terry cloth robe and, and like in makeup and like that's how she was like literally f- five minutes before you would see her she'd come up on set and it's like this is who she is meanwhile she was just she's just this you know oklahoma you know scotch drinking broad smoked and like just real straightforward down to earth great lady uh great lady again you know she was i spent many a time in her uh she loved to delve into like the character. Like I would ask questions about like, you know, the connection between myself and, you know, Philip and Alan. And I was like, you know, she used to talk about Chris Bruno quite a bit. Like she adored Chris Bruno. Um, and so just to kind of, she was a great um, uh, point of reference and historical point for me. Cause I was, I was always, I always wanted to know, I, I felt like fans were, were on their, on their game when they would watch you and I was replacing somebody. So I was like, I wasn't looking to be Carl. I wasn't looking to be better than Carl. I was looking to take what the information that Carl brought to it and the, and the, the, the energy of whatever that was and where Alan Michael was at that point and take it from there and go forward and and create it myself. So Bev was really, really great with that. And she, but her first, I had the, one of the few times that I can remember, um, so many different stories, but one, you know, is when I was supposed to find out, you know, Blake was faking that she was pregnant and then she had a fake that she miscarried. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I'm coming into this and I can't remember. Oh yeah. I think Carl was part of that at the beginning. Um, so Alan Michael knew that Blake was quote, you know, pregnant. And then I'm on a phone call with Blake and Sherry and where she's telling me that she's lost the baby. And, you know, I went for it. Like, it was a very emotional, like it had, it was something that was so devastating to Alan Michael to like be able to pass on and uh, some part, like uh, another part of being a Spalding, like he's, he's now creating part of the legacy and, you know, Bev's watching me and I'm fucking, I'm freaking bawling my eyes out. And she, they call clear and I'm like, still kind of like coming out of it. And she goes, she goes, I, I won't say exactly what she says. She did curse. She's like, holy, she, you know, the kid can F and act. I, was like, <laughs> I got the stamp from, from, from Bev. I and, love um, that. Yeah. I mean, and you know, Marge, Marge, when Marge came in afterwards, it was, it was different. Um, still the same kind of like, uh, I felt that Marge was the, the um, more of the, the, the pageantry of of mm-hmm. who who Alexandra was you know the the grandiose kind of nature and and Bev was that that heart that that you know that rock that that matriarchal draw and magnet that everybody sort of like gathered around Marge was much more like Marge was a a, a you know not that Bev wasn't but Marge was an ensemble player while being a leading player you know, that's what I always respected about Marge as, as Alexandra, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, I don't know if that, uh, miscarriage information scene was on your reel or not, but I do know that you took home your first daytime Emmy very quickly in 1991 as outstanding younger actor. Now that yes. was a, a pretty big deal, but probably not as big of a deal ultimately as what had happened the night before, which was the birth of your first son. But that is uh, correct. tell us what you remember about that night. The night of the Emmys, 
Um, obviously my son, Nick was born the night before, 22 hours before I actually was walking up on stage, but we, we get there, they tell that the Marriott Marquis and, um, you know, that's the days when we used to have like cocktail hours and all this kind of stuff and everybody's milling and it, and it's, a, it was just such a great environment, um, in that period of time in the nineties with all soaps, with all cast members, like our own cast and other casts, like everybody knew everybody. Like it was such a cross pollination of people. Hey, oh, hey, you know, because you're usually if one person was on one show, they would jump to another show and whatnot. But it was such a a, a great like smattering, eclectic smattering of different talents, um, like the L.A. people to the New York people, you know, um, it's like West Coast, East Coast. But um, so I'm I'm there and I'm there with my mom and my wife Donna was supposed to be there with me, but unfortunately, obviously. She had a C-section, so she had to stay in the hospital. Now, my dad, um, who I had had, you know, somewhat of a, an estranged relationship with over the years, um, he was there the night before and was so excited. This is his, you know, his first grandchild as well. Now, my folks have been divorced for many, many years. Um, and there's no animosity between the two of them, um, clearly, because they were both there in the same room when, when Nikki was born. But so... I, that night when I was leaving before the next morning, I, I said to, uh, you know, mom, I go, I go, geez, I got a, I got this extra ticket and everything. And I, I said, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. And she goes, uh, why don't you invite your father? And I was like, I literally thought this to myself. I said, you think he'd come? She goes, are you kidding me? Call him up right now. It's nine o'clock in the morning on, on that day. And I call him up and he's, he's awake. And I said, hey, dad, um, did I wake you? He says, no, no. And I said, uh, listen, um, you know, I got this extra ticket for the Emmys tonight. Um, I'd really like for you to go. Would you like to go? And he goes, oh, oh. I said, you know, I, I, it's no pressure. And he goes, no, I, I, don't, I don't get anything to wear. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, pop, go get a, go. I said, just go to the tux shop. Just get a tux, just a black tux, you know, very simple. I said, and, and I said, I'll have a car come pick you up. I said, and we'll drive into the city. I said, it's a Marriott Marquis. It's a really nice city. It's a big night. I'd really love to have you there. And, you know, he was very, I'm getting all emotional. I'm getting emotional. Well, it was a big deal. It was a big deal because, you know, my father never really knew kind of what I did. And this was his first opportunity to to do that. So he's already riding high. He's riding high also because he had bought a lottery ticket. And my son, (laughs) my, my, Nikki's, Nikki's birthday, um, um, seven, uh, excuse me, um, six twenty six was was the lucky he got five hundred bucks. He won five hundred bucks on it. Wow. So he, was right. stoked. he was already stoked. Um <laughs> so anyway, anyway, we we all the car comes, we get on it. So it's me, my mom, and my dad. And we drive up Mary McKay. We're we're, you know, milling about and everything. And then, you know, I'm seeing different folks and they're like, hey Rick, congratulations, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's like, are you excited? I'm like, yeah, I had a boy last night. I'm like goofy. I don't even know my head's spinning. And my mom and my dad are watching. And my 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 mom looks at him and and he's just staring at me. And she goes, uh, she goes, What's what's the matter, Charlie? He goes, he goes, um, you know, he goes, look at him. He goes, he says, so many people are coming up to him and saying hi to him. And he's like, he's just like, he could be president of the United States. Look at him. And she goes, Charlie, you met, you didn't, you don't know what he's been doing all of these years. And it was very, very much a very big moment for my mom and him and to watch. 
And I'm so glad that they both were there. So they're both, you know, obviously you can look at it on YouTube. You can see them both in the, in the audience. I'm sitting there. I'm waiting for my moment, you know, I'm for, for my category, excuse me. And I have to pee, of course. And, <laughs> and, and I know that I can't get up and I can't go anywhere. And it's bad. I'm like, I, I really got to go. But they announced it's Katie McLean and Missy Reeves, who I had just worked with a year prior to, yeah, a year prior uh, on days as my cousin. And they're both up there and they announced my name. And uh, I, I just, it, it completely blew me away. I was like, holy crap. I started shaking inside and I just came up the stage and the two, that's when they had trophy girls from different shows. The two trophy girls at that year, one was Parker Posey because she was on World Turns at the time mm-hmm. and Nia Long who was on wow. oh, wow. Light at the time. Nia was holding the statue. Nia handed me my, my, my Emmy and I gave her a big hug and kiss. And I stood up there obviously. And, you know, again, turned around. I, I didn't know what to say, but I just was, I, it leapt into my brain. <laughs> that there was this big campaign for CBS that year with, uh, Clarence, uh, Clarence, that was it. And this <laughs> sort of really horrific, uh, uh, pseudo rap, that white people could hopefully get around. Uh, and it just, it's like, you know, who gets the gold? Who gets the gold? It's like, nobody raps like that. Don't do that. Just don't, <laughs> just don't, don't, don't denigrate. Please. No, there's no, there's no MC nothing there. It's not happening. So I, 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 I just got up there and I just was like, I went, I got the gold. I got the gold. And everybody started laughing. And, you know, of course I, I, I made the announcement that, you know, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to say something about my son because it was it was so such a big moment. That was such a big moment, meaning another big moment. But I said the, the greatest moment of my life happened at eleven forty two last night. My son Nicholas Charles was born, and I and I still to this day um, feel that way. Uh, no matter what I've ever accomplished, you know, Emmy wise, career wise, whatever, you know that that's those are the moments in my life that I, I set as the benchmarks, uh, as as the tent poles that that meet. And they always seem to, they're always like very turning point moments in my life that met something in my career. So I, I, I'm very fortunate to know that without that, without one, the other didn't come. So, mm-hmm. so it, was, wow. it was big. That's it was amazing. Cool. It was cool. Well, Alan Michael took a bit of a dark turn when he played Dirty to win Eleni away from Frank. Yes. And that Alan Michael Eleni Frank triangle was a huge deal getting on yeah. the cover of Soap Opera Digest. So yes. tell us about working with Melina Kanakaridis, who uh, played Eleni. And uh, what do you remember about Alan Michael just even going down that road? Um, I enjoyed it because, you know, it's not that I play, it, you know, Days was kind of a hero. It was supposed to be a bad boy. It really wasn't, you know, he just sort of, oh, that guy, he's just causing mischief, you know? And <laughs> I like, I liked, I always liked the, 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 you know, the grimier, the dirtier characters, the, the more Machiavellian characters. Cause I just felt there was more dimension to play in them. And so the opportunity to do something like that with this character who was, you know, I looked, I got a chance to look at that, you know, he's always the younger brother, always the also ran, always trying to prove himself. And, you know, being a, a, an only child, I didn't really know what that was. I kind of like always set that in myself against myself. So I kind of drew on that. But working with, you know, being able to try to take somebody away, take a, a love interest away from somebody else. I, I love that. You know, I, I knew that with, with with every story, there's got to be a protagonist and an antagonist. And I like A over P, you know, uh, a little bit more. 
So um, it, it was it was a, a very unexpected uh, storyline. And, you know, Mel and I kind of we, we come from similar backgrounds in terms of, you know, family. You know, she's Greek. I have Italian in my family. So um, which she always used to tell she always just and still to this day tells me, you know, you have a little Greek in you. You have to. You have a little Greek in you. It's like everybody's got a little Greek in them. It's like, no, Mel, I don't. I have Italian. It's like, you know, well, Greeks and Italians are the same. No, they're not. Not really, but okay. <laughs> um, so um, it, it was. It was It was very much a, a transportive kind of uh, triangle in that, you know, we to, to be able to, you know, find that, that um, reasoning for being the guy who's willing to lie to get what he wants because ultimately there's there's an altruistic ish motivation for it and that's love he's fallen in love um and with you know the way that they with the backdrop of of that greek heritage was very much a you know kind of a, a fantasy come to life uh for both characters but you know I remember there was one moment that I had um, where I whisk Eleni away on a plane to go on a shopping spree or some other stuff and, you know, to try to impress her. And, you know, slowly but surely, the, uh, Alan Michael comes to realize that who she is is something that, you know, his family has never been. And I think that's something that, you know, uh, I, I latched on to. And... Um, I had bought a statue that Alan Michael had bought a statue and she says, why did you buy it? And I said, I fell in love with it. And it was a moment that just kind of came where I was looking right at her. And I said, I fell in love with, and I looked away when I said it. And I remember Bev said to me, that was the moment that we, that she said that she saw this was going to be an awesome, an incredible couple. And then when you wow. add the mix, mixture of Frank in there, um, and Frankie, I, I love Frank. Dicopolis was always, you know, he was the ultimate pure-hearted hero. Like he, and he loved playing that. And I used to tell him, like he, and he never wanted to like, brother, I, he's just, bro, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. Like if he had a, constantly like shoving me up against walls and like threatening to beat my, you know, you know, kick my butt and whatnot. And um, there was one time in particular, <laughs> he was supposed to literally lift me off my feet onto the wall. And I said, Frank, we just do this. I'm like, you know, put your hands on me, like grab my shirt and I will grab your hands and I will help you. We prep it and up we go. I said, and nobody will be the wiser. That's how, because I had studied stage combat and I knew that that's what you do. You help the, the person who's, guiding when somebody's hair is getting pulled is a person whose hair is getting pulled. They're doing all the guidance. So, and he was like, no, I don't want to do that. And I just, he didn't want to do it. He felt like, no, it's not going to make me look good. And I just, I just don't want to do that. I don't see the roughhousing. And Locke goes five, four. When he got to three, I took my two fingers and I jammed them in the center of Frank's chest. And he grabbed me with no help from me at all. And <laughs> shook me up against the wall. Afterwards, he couldn't have been more apologetic. And I was like, Frankie, don't ever apologize. That was beautiful. That was lovely. He's like, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was like, why did you do that? And I was like, because I wanted you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was good. It was good times. And we had so many, so many scenes like that. Um, so many wonderful times. It, it was an extraordinary. And, and the crazy thing is 
you know, Mel and, uh, and Pete and their girls, her family, her mom and her, her dad, who's since passed away, Harry sometime, you know, we became, our families became extremely close, um, to the point where, you know, their family worked to us and we're family to them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Alan Michael was a little bit luckier uh, in love when he married Lucy. And then right yep. after that, you ended up leaving Guiding Light. Why, yes. why, did, why did you do it, Rick? Why'd you go? Why did you do it? Why did you do it? Well, you know, it, I had, so I had come in, in 1990. I left in 96. Um, we had some extraordinary, we had some incredible storytelling uh, with, um, first with Pam Long. I came in the tail end of Pam Long. And then Nancy Curley and Stephen Demarest and all of the outline script writers going forward from there that I worked with later on. And so many just Mulcahy, Conforti, um, Salmons. Um, I, I remember these people, Courtney Simon. I, I remember them all very well because we were so in tune with them and they with us that I, I, I felt like we started losing them. You know, when Stephen and um, Nancy were gone, I felt that a big part of that age of that storytelling had gone. Now, Megan was a great storyteller, don't get me wrong. But that which we had created with Jill and Stephen, and it was a, it was a time that you couldn't duplicate, you know. And I think Jill would probably uh, agree to that as well. Um, so a lot of things had changed. And then Michael Lapson had come in, I believe it was my last year there. I was coming up for contract negotiation at that time. And, you know, it was, it wasn't so much like I'm done with this place. It was like, I had, a, I really had to think to myself, you know, I could stay. Um, they were, they're still, it was very much family to me. Um, I loved my life in New York. You know, I really did. Um, as did, as did Donna. And we had both of our kids there. We lived in White Plains. You know, I still lament about that. I, I to my, to this day would move back to, to Westchester and Hartley. Um, I'd move back to, to New York, New Jersey, even during all this time. I just, you know, I, it, it's a part of me. It's where I was brought up, you know, um, it, it's part of my blood. Um, but you know, I had to figure out whether or not I was going to be able to step off and, and look at nighttime and film. I was 31 and uh, I'd give it a shot. So that's, that's, that was really the reason. And I kind of had come full circle. So I no, I think I, that's why I, I, I had left. Uh, because of it was time, it was time to go. It wasn't necessarily because of anybody in particular. Well, your next daytime gig was on Young and the Restless, playing the nefarious Matt Clark. How did you end up there? Yeah, so playing Matt Clark was so I had been out of you know I'd been away from daytime for see that was two thousand I came into to Young and the Restless. So I I had been away from daytime since since ninety six. So I, I, I was kind of nervous about it. Um, I had, you know, I'd done some stuff here and there, uh, but you know, the roles really weren't there. I, I had been, um, called, um, offered, um, actually after my first year of leaving Guiding Light, the role of AJ Quartermain to come replace Sean, which was very wow. funny. And mm -hmm. I, I turned it down, not because it wasn't a great opportunity, but because again, I felt like. I've only been gone a year, guys. I'm still at it. You know, I'm getting a few things. I got 90210. I got a few other things. I got, you know, I was like, okay, let me, let's, I don't want to just jump just yet. And that, you know, kind of put me in a place where uh, by the time I came into the role of Matt Clark, I was, I was super hungry. Um, I kind of got back to that 
place in myself that was, I, I always call it, you know, battle ready, walking into an, an audition. And I was, at the time, I was asked to come in and read for Matt Clark with, I can't remember, she was the head of CBS casting for daytime prior to Marnie uh, taking over. Marnie was actually the assistant casting uh, director for Wire at the time. And um, I was asked to come in and read for casting for the role. And I, I will be very upfront and, and honest with you. There was an ego part of me that said, uh, really? Like, I got to come right. in and read, go into casting and go through it. Why not? You know, and, and I, I took a moment and it was all of like 10 seconds. I said to myself, okay, do you want to stand on ego or basically say, Hey, I'll do it for whoever wants to see it. And I'm like, I'll do it for them. I'll do it for the next person, the next person, the next person. So the fact that I threw that out, uh, my ego out, I went in and I laid it down and I thought I did great. And uh, I actually read with Marnie at that time. And, um, you know, I was told by the casting director at the time, it's like, well, um, we'll, we'll, okay, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. And so I called my manager. I said, you know, uh, I don't know. We'll see. And, you know, I found out about a week later that they cast some other guy. So they uh, cast some other dude. He was, you know, a Power Ranger or something like that. I was like, okay, whatever. And uh, so three months later, all of a sudden I get a call from my manager again and for Young the Restless to read for another role, which was not, quote, Matt Clark. It was Carter. And I went, Mm -hmm. Carter. Okay, cool. Great. I get the sides. I'm reading the sides. I'm like, this is freaking Matt Clark. This is all I auditioned for. What, what's going on? I go in and I can't remember whether it was before the read or no, it was after the read. Because I just said, do the read. Now, Marnie is the head of casting at this point for your YNR. I read with Marnie again. And Marnie is a casting director who throws the script to the side and sees how good you can be. Like she gets in it, which I loved about her. And I just threw it right back. And I, uh, uh, shh, I can't. I said to her, I, I, after we were done, I go, um, so Marnie, what, um, what, what's the deal? I said, is this, is this the role that I read for? She looks at me and she goes, they're getting rid of the guy before, um, but this is, yes, the same role. I said, gotcha. She goes, you don't know that. And I went, got it. It's Carter. Understood. I go away. Manager calls me immediately. Reading for the producers. Okay, great. Go back. David Shaughnessy, Ed Scott. I walk in the room. Same deal with Marnie. And I had another audition after that. And I finished the audition. (laughs) And again, Ed Scott, I can't say exactly what he said uh, verbatim. So there was an F word involved. He goes, that was effing awesome. He goes, and he just looks at me and David looks at me and we're like staring at each other for me. He goes, well, what are you doing next? What, what's, what do you got? What do you got going on? Uh, and I said, well, I got, a, I got another audition. I got to, I got to head out to uh, right now, but um, thanks guys. I appreciate it. You know, like, yeah, great. Awesome. As I'm walking out, Marty says, I'll walk you out. As she walks me to the door, I, I go out the door and turn and say thank you to her. And she looks at me, she goes, she mouths, you kicked ass. Oh, okay. and, and like, and she's like waving at me, like really excited, closes the door slowly. 
And by the time I got to the car in the lot, I booked it. So that's, that's how I got in. So Carter, uh, Carter slash now that's, that's who I was playing. I was supposed to be Carter uh, because Matt was not who he was supposed to be. And I loved it because it was the opportunity to play a three times serial rapist. So I threw caution to the wind. I, I didn't try to make him nice. I didn't try to make him, you know, redeemable. I didn't want to make him anything, but who he was a guy with an agenda that was completely and totally justified in what he was doing and caught on. And what was supposed to be three months lasted six months. And then finally was obviously, you know, um, and had to come to me on set and tell me that he had to let me go. And he was very upset about it, but he says, we just have to wrap it up. But then I probably had one of the greatest death scenes that I think I've ever had. Or, um, and I have, you know, Patty Denny to thank for the head of makeup at, at YNR who made I, you know, I was, car goes over a ravine with Sabre Janae, um, who was playing uh, Trisha at the time, who I lured in as well. And, um, you know, I had, I had like, a, a, I don't know if you remember it, but I had um, a little, uh, one eye was filled with, with blood. Oh, I remember. Um, yeah, a ruptured, <laughs> like a ruptured blood vessels in my eye. And, you know, with the trach in, and I, I knew that I, he, he had to speak and I had tons of lines. I'm like, how the frick you, it's one of those moments, like in soap dish, like, you know, he's, he's got no vocal cords. I, I got to write for a guy without a head. You know, how am I supposed to speak pages of dialogue with Joshua, you know, facing off my nemesis for several pages and then die. Uh, but I did, you know, I found a way and it worked and I had studied uh, and listened to what actual, you know, patients that were on trachs who were still able to be audible sounded like. Because ideally, you know, they can't speak. So how do we make this believable at the same time terrifying? And uh, it, was, it was. It was awesome. I just loved, 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 loved that scene. And then, of course, come back as an aberration. Again, very poignant and, you know, not as such a, a joyous moment in my life. My father had passed away. My father, who came to the Marriott Marquis to see me win my first Emmy, my father had come to watch me uh, on set. He had come out. He was, he, unbeknownst to me, he was very sick. And he stayed four days and I brought him to YNR and for the day and it was super early. And, um, he, I got a chance that he met everybody, came into the, the room and shook hands with everybody. He's like, Oh, it's your father. Oh, great. Oh, his way. Love ring. And he met Joshua and Josh and I would, you know, go back and forth and spar constantly, you know, who, who's going to barb first, who's going to get one over there. That's because Josh is great with that. And, uh, my father got a chance to watch that and watch me on set. And, um, you know, he, when he went back home, he had said to me, um, he called me one day a week later and he was so thrilled about it. You know, I thought he was pissed, but he was like, he's like, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I said, what's, what's up? And he goes, um, he goes, um, you, he says, I, I just been trying to call you. I said, uh, is everything okay, dad? Now, you know, little known fact, my father was a very, very heavy drinker and it ultimately is what, you know, kind of killed him. He had cirrhosis and he, um, he, he said, no, I just wanted to call you. And, and I usually would think that he was looped. I said, dad, you okay? And he said, he goes, no, no, no. I just, uh, I just, you know, want to tell you how, what a great time I had. I said, oh, I said, oh, great dad. I said, I'm, I'm glad you had a good time. I said, you know, you're welcome anytime. He goes, you know, maybe I'll come back out in March or whatever, you know, if, if that'd be okay. I said, absolutely. My home's your home anytime. You have grandkids here. And he goes, I just want to tell you, you know, you, 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 you took 10 years off my life. And he goes, wait a minute, scratch that. 
He says, you added 10 years to my life. And at that point, I had no idea that he had been told by the doctors that he really was in that long. Um, and he goes, uh, I, I got, I hung up the phone and I was in El Pollo Loco with, with Donna and the kids. And I just paused and she looks at me, she goes, what's wrong? I said, it was dad. She goes, is everything all right? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, he just wanted to tell me what a great time he had. And then I, I gave, added 10 years to his life. She goes, honey, that's wonderful. And I said, and I made a joke. I said, son of a bitch better not die on me. And six months later he was, he was, had passed. And I was uh-huh. off the show at that time. Uh, but two weeks, I want to say two weeks, back, about two weeks later, two weeks later, I, I had to go and out to, you know, do plans and bury my father and came back. And two weeks after that, I was called by YNR. They wanted to have me come back for, you know, 10 episodes to play an aberration for Trisha for Sabre Janae, um, which turned into six months more. So I attribute again, that moment in my life and that, that, passing that my father basically was looking out for me and I got six more months of employment on a show that I absolutely <laughs> loved as, as if I was on full contract. Um, wow. so great time, great time. And it teed up everything to, for my next show, um, which came around another six months after that, uh, not six months. What am I saying? It came a few, a couple of months, two months after that, which was, um, bold, which and was beautiful. bold and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So not to give that short shrift, but you did play Whip Jones there and there are only a few months, but long enough for Whip to marry Brooke and pretend to be the father of the baby she was secretly (laughs) expecting. Um, So, you know, what was your baby experience like? So I was, I was, I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, I I had heard that that, uh, folks from B&B were a wild group. They were a little more loose, a little, little more like they were party-centric folks. They worked hard and they played hard. Um, so I had no idea what to expect. But I also knew that a buddy of mine, Sean Kanan, was working there. And um, so that audition was very funny because the audition was with him. And um, the funny thing was that um, I kind of had a leg up on most of the guys because um, we called each other and we kind of ran the scene together. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's like, Hey, it's anybody's game at this point. Um, but, uh, when I got there, uh, it was, it was, again, it was such a, I saw that again, as some a kind of role that I, I get the chance to create from the ground up. You know, this was my stepping back into daytime for me was, was, um, was Y&R. Like that was my foray, like, welcome back. Like here, I can still do this. And, and you know what? I'm coming at it with the same mentality that I did with YNR. I, I came into Bowling the Beautiful with the, with the head that's like, look, play it like a day player every day. Your job could be over. Don't ever look at it as, you know, you're a contract player and you'll be here forever. You know, appreciate what you got today. And that's the way I approached WIP. Um, I, I will say that the, when I first found out I got the role, um, they didn't really know what the name of the character was going to be. Um, so until, um, I hear from my manager, uh, I said, so what's the name of the character? I said, um, whip. I said, excuse me. She said, whip. Like that's a name like whip short for what? Whipple. <laughs> I went whipple as in Mr. Great. I'm the Charmin guy. I'm the toilet paper guy. Really? You're kidding me. This is what I'm going from this, like, you know, intense freaking crazy role into Whipple. Real. Oh, okay. Um, so just for Joe, just for grins, I said, what's his last name? 
And they said, Jones. I went, okay. So you, you go from Whipple, this most strangest <laughs> and most obscure name, to Jones. Like, you know, they said, oh, the third. I went, there's two before this? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And um, and then I come to find out that Brad actually had a friend who was named Whipple. <laughs> so I shut my mouth and showed up to work and said, Whipple Jones, what a great name. The third? Absolutely. Can you tell me the lineage? How, do, how, were, the, how were one and two? What were their claims to fame? Could I could I wonder? You know, because I'm very much into the history of characters, as you guys all know. So, um, but it was it was a very fun role. Uh, I, I I learned. I, I felt like I learned on that uh, show um, even more than any other the 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 true benefit of working with camera. Like in in YNR, uh, I, I I was very conscious of it, but it was still. I was still operating as the actor who drove the scene, the camera followed sort of, you know, but still with a, a good consciousness of, you know, three camera, four camera, whatever particular moment. Um, but with B&B, they were very shot oriented. And I learned how to structure my performance and gauge things. So it really helped me like be able to stop, start, like I, I already felt that I, I was a real good, you know, I was very good at, at being able to pick up, you know, up, oh, let's pick it up from there. Literally, where was my energy? Where was I at? Where was my emotion? All of it. Like not to, not to put it, you know, as if it doesn't mean anything as an actor, but machine, like it was that part of my technical training in the business that that got set on fire in, at B&B. Uh, but at the same time, it also gave me the opportunity to know how they really worked camera for moments there. Um, so that that's that was, and then playing with Sean, the, the the silliest but you know funniest part was that you know most people learned that you know Sean was a black belt, I was a black belt, and unfortunately Brad learned that as well, and so. <laughs> He decided to write a scene in there where the two of us literally have a full on like karate kid <laughs> moment where it, it was a full on fight scene. Like we were throwing kicks and punches and, you know, they had to pad the, the, the bottom of this particular living room rug so much because I was getting thrown on top of it. Um, I mean, we were doing crap that you literally are going, okay, wait a minute. This guy is a, is works as a PR head in a fashion department of a fashion conglomerate and the other one's a rival fashion guy. Okay. Yeah. They're looking to like go full karate kid on each other. Great. Awesome. I'm in, I'll do it. So anything fantastical to make it seem real, uh, assume genius is, is the way I had always approached that, um, there. Um, I loved working with Catherine. Um, I, I think she, she found me to be, you know, I, I, it's where I kind of like let myself loose, uh, the humorous side of me, the, the, the guy who was willing to cut up. Uh, and I was much more free form there. Um, because also I had Sean, Sean was, uh, we, we were literally the antithesis of one another. Like we could play off each other no matter what the situation. And we, you know, we've, we've stayed friends to this day. Um, as a result, we were already friends. Um, the funny thing about uh, Mr. Kanan's and my friendship, I don't know if many people know this, but Sean and I met 
um, prior to my going to South Africa to shoot that movie. Um, and I was an out of work actor or aspiring actor. Uh, we were both aspiring actors. However, he was seemed to be doing a little bit better off than I was because I was working in a place called Cafe LA on Sunset. And um, as a waiter, hated it. It was right across from the, from the Roxy and the Whiskey. And, um, but I, cause I hated waiting tables. So I found the worst place I could ever work in, but could make enough of a living at. Um, and Sean would come in at three o'clock in the afternoon when we had a lull and Sean would always order a chicken Caesar salad and a glass of white wine every, every time. And we'd shoot the breeze for hours. My boss would always, you know, like threaten to fire me. I'm like, it's one customer and he comes in every day. He's a regular. He's my regular. Leave me alone. Um, and we just would talk about how we were going to, you know, Hey man, what do we make it one day? Do something. And then lo and behold, later on, you know, we actually wound up being on, you know, different shows. Um, and, uh, and the work together on Bold and Beautiful was, you know, it was awesome. And I had first seen that he was on Bold when I was on YNR. So it wasn't, it wasn't really the first time I knew he was there, but, um, it was great. You know, Catherine was where Susan, Susan, I was, Susan, I, 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 working with her was one thing when she directed, man, had to be on your toes. And that was for probably the first time in, a, in years that I had actually been nervous in front of a, uh, of a director in front of, uh, of production. Uh, cause I, I just could usually roll with anything, but she was, she was hard as nails when she was out there, but she demanded like the best of what you had, which I appreciated obviously. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always nice to have a level of fear operating underneath your performance because, right. because then you kind of throw caution to the wind and you get some really cool stuff sometimes. Well, you had barely said goodbye to Whip when GH snapped you up to play Rick Lansing, uh, Sonny yep. brother. So tell us about working with Maurice, your off-camera relationship with him. So my off-camera, so my, at the beginning, you know, coming into any place you're, you're, it's an odd, uh, it's an interesting situation. And walking in there, I said this years ago, you know, you're walking in an A-list players. Not that anybody place outside walked in was, didn't have A-list players, but this was a sea of A-list players and Mo, Steve, all of them, you know, they were all Tam, um, you know, everybody was always on a game. So I, I was appreciative of it. First time I met Maurice was in the, uh, was in the makeup room. He's sitting there and, you know, like, like Don Corleone and he has everybody around him and there, everybody's talking with him and whatnot. And I sift my way through as I'm wont to do. I sift my way through and I stuck my hand out. I said, Hey Maurice, nice to meet you. I said, I'm Rick Hurst. I said, uh, I'm really looking forward to playing, uh, playing opposite you, man, and doing some really good stuff. And he looked me dead in the eye. Shook my hand. He goes, yeah, that's good. Oh, welcome. welcome. Says, yeah. Yeah, right. I'm looking, looking forward to it. Yeah. And that was that, you know, so it was always that, you know, we weren't chummy together at the beginning, you know, cause Mo is very much, he comes from a, from a, a studio actor studio kind of point of view, a method point of view. And I appreciate that. I've, I, I've studied method as well. So, you know, I, I play along with that and I went with it and it actually um, really fortified our relationship. Um, you know, after I think, you know, there's a testing period when you're working with actors who obviously are there and they dominate a show. Um, but the great thing was that he knew that I wasn't there to throw ego around. He knew that I wasn't there to try to take anything or whatever. Um, he knew that I was there to enhance and make better and, and, you know, that I was going to play my role my way and he appreciated it. And it, it, it formed a really great bond with, with, uh, with him um, off camera as well as on camera. 
You know, he's, he's just, you know, he, he would flip the switch one minute. Like you think he's like, he's really pissed at you. And then, and then he'd like, then he would actually warm up to you, but you learn Maurice after a while. He's a big teddy bear. Couldn't be a little more loyal human being to anybody. Uh, dear man, dear, dear, sweet, loving, warm man. And now certainly there are many Lyric fans. Rick and Alexis Tons. were also a huge yeah. hit. So tell yeah. us about working with Rebecca Herbst and Nancy Lee Grom. Yeah, total total opposites. Obviously, Becky um, Becky helped. You know, we 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 kind of developed that. You can call it storybookish. You know, it, it was very much in line for who her character was. Take the bad boy out of the bad boy, right? But still love him because he's the bad boy, um, no matter what. Uh, but she was going to be that that guiding force for him, and we we developed such a, a great symbiotic relationship. We were buddies, you know, very trustful of one another. I I I, I it was effortless uh, working with Becky. I mean, completely effortless. Um, and with Nancy, the, the funny thing is, with Nancy, it was much more of a um, you know a combative. Uh, relationship at the very beginning. And Nancy will tell you this, you know, and I, I, there's no secret to it. You know, Nancy, at the very beginning, because I felt like, you know, I wanted somebody to work my way. And that's not something that Nancy was going to do. Nancy's her own person. And so I learned that real quick and learned to appreciate it, work with it. It became amazing fuel for Alexis and, and, and Rick's relationship. Um, and, and, and I, I, I think she's one of the most, I was also a fan of Nancy, by the way, for years, Santa Barbara. I thought she was an extraordinary talent. And still to this day, you know, Nancy's, Nancy is a unique, you know, headstrong, you know, uh, deep lady uh, and no BS about her. And I so appreciate that about her. Um but, you know, there are moments where you're just like, Nance, please, you know, I know you can literally memorize 20 pages in five seconds, but I can't help me out here. You know, she's like, oh, OK. You know? <laughs> um, but yes, um, became became very close and dear, dear friends with her. An extraordinary an extraordinary Alexis and Rick was, you know, and I have to tr I have to tr uh, say that I, I learned to trust uh, uh, instincts that she had about um, about guiding direction on on certain uh, aspects of the couple. She liked, she, you know, like she, she liked interesting. She didn't want run of the mill. She wasn't like the storybook thing. That's not what, what she, and I, and I, that's, that's what I learned from Nancy was that, no, you can't, it's human. It's like, they're two people. They can be, we want to show somebody that could be somebody that's watching, you know, a, a diverse, you know, a combative, but loving relationship. That was multidimensional. So that was that was the, the thing about, you know, the relationship with Nancy. I absolutely adore. I did too. Um, well, Rick, as you mentioned, uh, a couple of years ago, you relocated to Atlanta. So tell us like what you're doing there and what you're doing now. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been here for a little over four years, my entire family. You know, I, I kind of came full circle on things, um, kind of hit a, a bit of a wall uh, career wise. And uh and just, you know, I needed new geography, came out to Atlanta, uh, came back, I came to Atlanta. Um, Natalia Livingston li lives out here and um, she's got a, a great company called Actor Boutique. And uh, I aligned myself with her and um, became her pretty much her lead instructor there. Uh, right now, it's a little challenging, obviously. And I've been coaching uh, and working with young uh, aspiring actors here and some established actors as well. 
Um, been working still as an actor here, actually working more. Um, there's a lot of production going on here when before COVID, obviously. Um, you know, I've had an opportunity to work with some really great people. I uh, worked on day, Daytime Divas with, uh, um, um, with those folks there. And, um, and then, you know, Vampire Diaries, when I was here, I got a chance to do that. Um, but I'm also, uh, and, and recently on Ambitions, um, Jer- uh, Jamie Giddens uh, wrote and penned that, uh, that show. And I wish it would have gone on, but um, had a great time there uh, working with Robin Gibbons. But um, so I also uh, am the uh, co-owner and COO of my family's uh, Italian food business known as Family Kitchen. Uh, which we do authentic Italian uh, food. My mom has been since retired from the co- corporate cosmetic world for 40 years. She was an executive with a, a wonderful company. And, um, you know, we, we started putting that, uh, putting that together, you know, basically out of farmer's markets we started, but now we've got our own space. We're looking at getting storefront. Um, and we have quite a following here uh, in Atlanta. And I crack up because I've learned that pizza is my next passion <laughs> for some weird reason. <laughs> That all sounds amazing, Rick. And last year actually marked the 30th anniversary of your daytime debut. I mean, as you look back on it now, can you sum up what working in daytime has meant to you both personally and professionally? Oh, my goodness. I think uh, professionally, it's, it, it probably was, as many would say, but you know, I'd say as well, it's the greatest training ground any actor could have. Um, it gives you the opportunity as a professional uh, actor to learn to work through, you know, how to develop an arc of a character, uh, play an arc of a story, one to understand what that actually is to, to chronicle, you know, the life of a character, knowing that there's a beginning, middle and end, but there's a, an after and a before. And it's something that we're always taught as actors and, and rarely, you know, get to bring in, uh, to performances to know that when I pick up any script, I can know how to play that moment in that moment as a result of being able to do that on the fly in, in a manner of a five, four, three, two, and learn to appreciate that, that I can take that into any medium and have been able to, which is really, you know, I'm very, very grateful for. Um, I'm grateful to, to the daytime community uh, for being able to employ me for as many years as, as I have to be able to develop relationships with so many amazing actors, but also, you know, folks, uh, in, in the, in the media world, um, as, as well as, um, you know, crew, crew folks and, and more than anything, fans, you know, that have, have said and, and said things to me and to my family and, and commented about how whatever I've done, uh, performance has affected them or impacted their life or listened to an interview or what have you have, you know, it's been a mark for them. So I've hopefully, you know, done, done well by representing myself positively and hopefully admirably to those people. And as, and personally for me, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I, I grew up, I grew up in, in daytime. I, I became a, I was a young actor, became a young adult actor. I raised a family at the same time as, you know, walking through this, this different, different roles. It's given me the opportunity to play various roles, uh, explore parts of myself that I, I never would have probably got the opportunity to, uh, and haven't as still, um, 
in in the um, in more of the mainstream, could say, um, acting uh, world. But um, yeah, I, it's it's been a it's been a great ride. It's not over, obviously. Um, but as as you know, media changes, obviously, uh, and daytime changes. Um, you know, we we don't know what the what the next chapter is going to bring. Uh, but I always look to open, open my book every day. And, and I really am very thankful that, um, I've been given that opportunity by, uh, the daytime world for over 30 years. Can't believe it's 30. It blows my mind. I know. Well, we're very happy too. And we thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys. Taking really this trip down memory lane. Always, yeah. I've, I've known you both for a very long time. I, rem- I remember meeting Steph for the very first time, um, you know, when you were a reporter with, uh-huh. with, uh, with, with, di- with, it was what's with digest. And it was at a, I want to say it was at a party in some loft, like you guys were throwing a party and we yes. all came and that was with Wendy Moniz. And, oh my God. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. I remember it well, hon. I it was our anniversary. It, it was yes. the digest and Donna, like 15th Kua- and Donna, anniversary party. Yeah, and, and Donna, Donna, yeah. Donna, Donna, who I since have connected with, she came into town and, and, um, she had sent me a play that she's doing and whatnot. So it's, it's been a long time. And I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really grateful for you guys. And I thank you guys for always being so um, thoughtful and, and, and mindful and respectful and, and just awesome, awesome freaking journalists. Oh, thank you, thank Rick. You. Rick, it was so great to talk to you and we hope to talk soon. Absolutely. Salute guys. Stay safe. Okay. Uh, you thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Rick Hurst for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Mm -hmm.